Hi, I'm Grayson Willis. Thank you for joining us on the podcast for Harrisonburg Nazarene Church. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast for the latest episodes and new updates. You can now search for our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Google Podcast. Make sure to join us each Sunday at 9 a.m. on Facebook Live. Also, this Sunday, we'll be having a 9 a.m. indoor service and 10.30 outdoor service in English and 11.45 indoor service in Spanish. We're going to open up uh, the Word in just a minute as we continue in our series together. But before we do that, I want you to reflect for a moment on your relationships. I want you to think right now of, uh, let's just pick a number, right? I want you to think of the 10 most important relationships in your life. And I bet you don't have a list, right? I bet you don't take out your phone and there they are ranked from one to 10. And maybe I'll bump them up. They had a bad week. I'll bump them down, right? right? That's not it. But I just want you to think about in perspective for a minute. Uh, you have hundreds of relationships, thousands of relationships. If you count not just the relationships in person, but behind a screen, you interact e- even in, a, in a, a day of social distancing, right? You interact with Hundreds of people, some of you, on a given day. But I want you to think maybe of the 10 most important people in your life. For some of you, that's, that's your family. It's a close friend, a spouse, um, your most faithful friend, people that you've known your whole life, whoever that would be today. I want you to think about in those relationships when it's all said and done, at the end of your life. I heard uh, one speaker say it this way. At the end of your life, what do you want people to line up and thank you for. We're in a series on relationships where we're challenging ourselves in our relationships to grow, to think, to consider how would God want us to value relationships because relationships matter to him. We care about relationships and if we don't, if we don't, maybe we should. Because when it's all said and done, right, when it's all said and done and we breathe our last breath, there will really only be two things that matter. It will matter if Jesus knows our name and it will matter the depth and quality of the relationships around us because I can't take anything else with me. I've stood with people as they breathe their last breath, as they crossed the line from this world into eternity. And in that moment, there was not an accomplishment. There was not a possession that they could carry with them. But you know what was very present in that moment was the relationships, those gathered around them. And so perhaps... In a day where we put so much value on what we see, what we can touch, what we can possess, maybe it's our relationships that are most important. But relationships are messy, right? They're challenging. They're hard. Don't look around and maybe don't say amen. It might get you in trouble. But relationships are hard. Sometimes I love talking to other people about their families and and hearing that family's messy for them because I'm like, I thought I was the only one that we, you know, we have our different sides of the family and they're messy. And yeah, family's messy and it's hard. And so this is what we're doing in this series. We're taking the command of Jesus seriously. Jesus doesn't just say, try to love one another. He commands us, you must love one another. And if we're to take Jesus seriously at that command, then we're offering what we think are are four rules, four, four things that are vital, four things that are essential in this journey in loving each other well, loving not just those that are closest to you, not just your top 10 list, right? But loving each and every person that you come into contact with, because Jesus doesn't suggest that. It's not an option. Jesus commands us, we must love one another. 
And so if you've been journeying with us, uh, week one, we talked about rule number one, right? And rule number one says when it comes to relationships, it's not about me. So I don't have rule number one down in case you're wondering. This is not like a course that you have to pass one week to get to the next. Uh, the Lord is still working on me on rule number one, but we feel like this is essential, essential to healthy relationships around us. In fact, if you're feeling like your relationships are disrupted, I would challenge you to come back to rule number one and say, how are you doing at that? Because even this week, the Lord convicted me. It's not about me. Rule number two, if you were here last week, Pastor Olivia did such a great job of bringing God's word in such a challenging way to remind us that rule number two says a relationship is no better than the empathy that two people share. That a relationship void of empathy is a relationship that's going to struggle. It's a, it's a relationship that, that's going gonna, gonna to be toxic. It's going to be uh, selfish. It's going to be, right? That, that is essential empathy, not just, not just in your relationships that you have in person, but even the relationships we have behind a screen. Welcome to 2020, where we need empathy like never before. And today we're going to talk about our next role, and this one is messy, and this one is hard because, because it, it forces us to take a long look in the mirror and assess where we truly are today. Because rule number three that we're going to talk about today says sin does not just hurt my relationship with God. Sin does not just hurt my relationship with God. You see, sin is disobedience from God's best, from his design for us. And, and there are times... Right? There's times when we might be blinded to the sin in our lives. And God, sometimes he might use other people. Sometimes he might use his word. Sometimes he might use circumstances to show us, to see that. Sometimes we're blind to the way that our sin is separating us from God. So there, we might know that there's sin in our lives, but we may not even see the impact that that's having on us. We may not even see the impact that our sin is driving a wedge between us and God. We may be blind to that. But you know what I believe we're blind to most often? I believe most of us are blind to the impact that our sin has on the relationships with those around us. That it's not just, sin is not just something toxic in my life that's separating me from God, but, but sin is toxic in each and every one of the relationships around me. So today, I want to talk to you about what it means to pursue a life of purity, a heart of purity. And when you hear that word, it might sound old-fashioned to you. To me, it brings me back to my teenage years. I talked about purity. And so some of you may be thinking that this is like a birds and the bees kind of talk that I'm about to give. So I would tell you to exhale and relax, okay? That's not where we're going today. This series is about all relationships. All relationships, the relationships that matter most in your life. But let me define what it means when we're talking about that idea of purity, right? Purity, you know what that really is? It's this idea of seeking God's best for me. My heart, my mind, my body. That when we talk about pursuing a heart of purity, a, a mind that is pure, what we're really talking about is I am seeking God's best for me. My whole person. This is what Jesus said, right? Right? This is what Jesus said. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. 
And I want to see God, but not even just the context that I want to see God one day. And one day, I believe in faith. I'm going to see him. I'm going to stand before him, and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to see his nail-scarred hands, and I'm going, to, I'm going to worship him. Not like just like this in a room, but like in like presence of Jesus right there. I'm going to see him. But you know, I'm, I'm also grateful that I don't have to wait until then to see God at work. I believe Jesus' words, blessed are the pure in heart, that I, I can see God at work in my life now. I can see him at work in the world around me now because the pure heart. And so if that's true, if Jesus' words are true, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God, then the condition of your internal life matters. Specifically a call to purity, a pure heart. Jesus says, God wants us to pursue his best for us. And when we're pursuing his best for us, you better believe that impacts the relationships around us. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 3 today. If you have a copy of scripture, I would invite you to open that up today. You could have your YouVersion Bible app, and we have an event set up there week after week where you uh, can take some notes with you throughout the week and reflect and study. The Apostle Paul here in Colossians 3 is making an appeal to the church, and he is making a drastic statement. He's making a drastic statement about death. And these words we're going to read today, and we're going to reflect personally, but these words were written to a community of believers, a, a church in community. Not a church necessarily in, in 2020, although we believe these words are relevant. We believe the Word of God is alive and active and still speaking. But these words were written in community, and Paul is speaking about death, but not a physical death, a spiritual death, a spiritual rebirth, identifying with Christ's death, that Jesus Christ died on the cross, and identifying with that death, and therefore a spiritual death, a spiritual death of our own in a spiritual rebirth. We're going to read in verse 5 of Colossians chapter 3. Follow along with me. We'll stop a few times uh, and come up for air. Uh, but starting in verse 5 of Colossians chapter 3, this is what Paul's saying. He's saying, put to death. Therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Paul is making it clear, right? What is he saying? That purity matters to God. That the condition, not of just your external life, but your internal life, it matters to God. The condition of your heart, the condition of your mind pursuing God's best for you, that matters to him. That, that he is a holy God. And as his adopted children, he calls us to be holy. And let's look at a few of just the specifics here of what Paul is saying, right? What is he saying? Just go back through the passage with me. Sexual immorality. Impurity, lust. God cares about our sexuality. He, he does. It matters to him that we fulfill a, a God-given desire in a manner that honors him. It honors his desire for us. He cares about what we consume, what feeds us. Not just physically food, right, right, right? But what feeds us, what feeds our minds and our hearts. It matters to God what we focus on when lust 
lust creeps in and disrupts God's best for us. This matters to God. It matters to God. He talks about evil desires and greed. God cares about our idols, right? What we pursue, what we chase after, what we create as our foundation, what we make our God, that matters to him. In verse 80, he goes on to list a ton more, right? Anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language and lying. And this is not an exhaustive list, but some specific examples Paul is giving. These are the things Paul's pointing out that cannot exist in the life of a person seeking God's best for them. We cannot justify in ourselves dishonesty and disobedience and sexual immorality. We cannot justify those things and claim that we want God's best for us. Because purity matters to God. Look at what it says, verse 9. Let's keep reading. Do not lie. Do not lie to each other. Since you've taken off your old self with its practices, and you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. This is uh, beautiful, right? Beautiful. And then, and then it can get into relationship, because right now it's just kind of a personal thing. Paul's just kind of talking individually, but collectively to the body, but individually. But now it's going to get into relationships, and that's where we understand. We come back to, what does this have to do with relationships? Look at what it says now. In verse 11, here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. What does that mean? Paul's addressing all kinds of divisions that could be present in the body. He's speaking to nationalities, former religious differences, cultural differences, economic, political status, but in all that, Christ is all and uh, is in all. There should be this rich diversity in the body, but, but we are one body no matter your race or language or status or position. We are called to be one. And then what it says in verse 12, therefore, because of that, as God's chosen people, holy, dearly loved. I want to pause there. This isn't even in my notes, but I just want to pause. That we aren't holy and dearly loved because we have made ourselves holy, right, right? There's this instruction, specific instruction of what we are to flee from, of what we are to rid ourselves from. And then when we are called holy, it's not because we met some legalistic checklist of, I avoided that, I didn't do that, I got rid of that, I got rid of that, right? This is not a performance evaluation, right? But Paul is saying, therefore, because you are God's people, because he, he can purify you is what he's saying, holy, you're dearly loved. Clothe yourself with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness, with patience. Bear with each other and forgive each other as you have grievances against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. I have no fashion. That's not shocking to some of you that maybe see me. My, I feel like my wardrobe is very public. Every Sunday I have to like, before I, literally, I ask Lauren, can I wear this? Is this okay? She's like, you've worn that 15 times on stage. I'm like, I know, but I'm just giving you permission because I don't, like I just, I'm not, I'm not that. So some of you that are really good at that, 
Praise the Lord for you. But I'm not there, right? I was born in the 80s, and so because of that, I was raised very much as a 90s kid. I resonate a lot with 90s, and it's really, I'm already old enough that you can see things that used to be in now come back. And like, like for instance, you know, the big glasses, right? Like in the 90s, like every, and you know, now, like that's the thing again, right? I know parents, you're rolling your eyes like, yeah, my teenager's wearing these things, right? What about like, I don't know what you really call them, uh, but mom jeans is what I call them. Like back in the 90s, these like high-waisted, mainly for women, guys, that's why they're mom jeans, but uh, high-waisted. And I remember like laughing at those, thinking about those, and now here they are again, right? They're coming back. So maybe my philosophy, it's not that I don't have fashion. Maybe my philosophy is I'm just going to keep wearing something until it comes back into style. Maybe that's what I'm trying to do, right? But, but there was this show on TV uh, years ago that we would watch every now and then. It was called What Not to wear. Maybe you remember the show. And here's the idea. You could nominate somebody in your life, and I guess you would have to nominate somebody that you loved, but there's also an admission that you're only going to nominate somebody that you think is a terrible dresser. I mean, this is, you're not nominating somebody that you think is doing well. And so what they would do is the show would kind of follow them around with a secret camera in their like heinous wardrobe. So this sweater that looked awful or this, you know, whatever it was, jeans that were 30 years out of date and whatever. So they would kind of follow them around and then they would kind of surprise them one day and say, ah, surprise, you're on live TV, whatever. But, and basically, if they would agree to get rid of the old wardrobe, they'd get $5,000 to just get themselves and they get a makeover and a new hair and you see at the end, it's like, oh, it's great, right, right? So it's this beautiful transformation, right? And Paul in Colossians chapter three is talking about the transformation, a visual. Literally, he's talking about as God's holy people. Holy, like he makes you holy. You are to take off the old, right? What is the old? That's all the stuff we read earlier. The old is living a life of sexual morality, living a life of lust, living a life of idolatry and greed, where you just, your life is valued by what you possess and what you own and what you can touch. And Paul is saying, take off the old wardrobe and clothe yourself, right? What are we going to clothe ourselves with? Man, it's good stuff. With compassion. Don't you wish, don't you wish today that we could look around and we could just see people being clothed with compassion, man? I need, I need more people in my life right now in the year 2020 that are just being clothed with compassion because it looks like I got people that are clothed with grouchiness and anger, right? but I want to have people clothed with compassion, with kindness. Like kindness is literally something you put on in the morning. Like, man, I don't want to be kind today, but I got my kindness jacket on. So here I am, right? Kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. It's this beautiful image of that, that the Holy Spirit has come in and he's shown up with his hidden camera and man, oh, look at my wardrobe I've been wearing. Man, this is embarrassing, but no, no, I'm going to give you a new wardrobe. And you're going to put on compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness. Oh, and, and overall, we're going to put on love because it binds it all together. It brings the outfit together. It ties it. It's like the nice shoes or something. You know, I don't know anything about fashion, but right? That's what it's saying. But there's something even more powerful here in this illustration. If you were here last week, if you were listening online, church, we uh, read in John chapter 11, the story of Lazarus. The story of Lazarus being raised from the dead. And at the end of that account in John 11, Jesus says something powerful that we sometimes miss. He, he tells those around him, the family and friends, to take off the grave clothes as Lazarus comes in. Because literally, when someone dies, you, you wrap them in cloths. There, there's a, a grave clothing that you'd wrap them around. And Lazarus is coming out, and he's wrapped in these cloths. And, and he, he can't move. He can't write right because he's wrapped in this. But Jesus says... 
And quite practically, right, take off the grave clothes. Why? Because he's not dead anymore. And as Paul writes these words, he, he, is, he is appealing to this, this sort of understanding of, of that the old is kind of associated, it's like the grave clothes. It would be like someone walking around in grave clothes that is not dead, right? right? That's not who we are. And as God's holy, dearly loved children, we don't clothe ourselves with the grave clothes. We used to wear that stuff when we were dead, but we're not dead anymore. That's not our wardrobe anymore. We clothe ourselves with kindness and compassion and humility and patience and love. Two quick things here. Let's not be misled. This is absolutely God's work. So I, I love my illustration of a new wardrobe. Some of you are hoping I could get a new one. Thank you for praying that for me, right? I love that illustration, but, but let's not take that illustration too far that we think this is something that we do. Well, I'm going to take off the lust and I'm going to put on the, right, right? This is God's work. This is his work. This is his powerful work that we are not the ones purifying ourselves and we can't take off the old on our own. Some of you are here and you're frustrated because you've tried. You've tried to take off the old. You tried to disassociate yourselves with the things of the past and on your own strength, you cannot do it. Next, let's understand that this is an inner work. This is an inner work. Jesus did not come, listen to this, he did not come to this world simply because we have bad habits that need to be broken. He came because we had dirty hearts that need to be purified. And look, what happens out here matters. But God wants to begin the transformation of purifying our hearts first. And sometimes when we talk about these things, we make it all about the exterior, all about the external practices. Am I lining up? Do I and some of us have been raised in a tradition that has led maybe to a more legalistic idea of all of these things. But I'm here to tell you that the work of the Spirit begins inside our hearts first. Here's the truth. We can't purify ourselves. We can't. We can't purify our own hearts. But he can. Through faith. He can purify our hearts. Purity matters to God. But finally, finally, right? Purity doesn't just matter to God, but it absolutely impacts those around us. And so we're going to close today leaning into this idea and understanding the condition of our hearts, the condition of our mind absolutely impacts everyone around us. See, let's start maybe with the toughest example, maybe the ickiest for some of us. But it's right here in Colossians 3. Lust. You know, lust is not just a personal sin. And maybe some of us in our lives, we justify it as that. Well, that's just me, and that doesn't impact anybody. Nobody knows. It's just, it's just a private thing, something I struggle with. And maybe we rationalize it, maybe we don't, but we never see that sin as anything other than, well, that's just between me and God. Right? But can I be honest? And, and maybe, man, I'm going to talk to you for a minute, not because I'm trying to indict you, but because I'm a guy. So maybe I understand this a little bit more. That maybe, men, if we aren't careful and we let lust run rampant in our hearts and in our minds and we give it a foothold, it will absolutely disrupt your marriage. That you have no integrity in your marriage anymore. <laughs> because you're allowing your eyes and you're allowing your heart and you're allowing your mind to wander off 
and pursue other things. And, oh, I didn't act upon it. I didn't do, it's just, but, but, but in it, we, we justify it. And we say it's just a look or just another click on the computer. But the damage is being done as the foundation of your love for your wife is being corroded moment by moment by moment. You better believe that sin impacts those around us. Maybe you're here and, guys, you're not even married yet. I have to tell you, one of the best ways you can build a foundation of love and trust is by pursuing God's best for you. And the word tells us, run. Run from sexual immorality. Run from lust. What about greed? What about this idea that you are never satisfied? You're always wanting more. Don't you think that impacts the relationships around you? Chasing after the next thing, the next proposition, the next big thing you can possess, that what you have is never enough? What happens? What happens when that truly takes root in our heart? What happens when we're wearing, right, that old wardrobe of greed in our lives? I'll tell you what I see happening is that the relationships around us, uh, people just become something that you can use to get something, to get the next thing, and you use them up and push them aside. Why? Because you have to have more. You need to have the next thing. You've got your eye on. And so our relationships aren't even authentic. They're just about what we can get from the people around us. What about lying? Right? We say it's just a little bit of untruth. Just a half-truth. I'm not, it's not really hurting anyone. But slowly the integrity in our relationships is being destroyed. We no longer trust one another. We no longer know if we can rely on one another. And when trust is broken, a relationship crumbles. And I don't have to tell you that. Because some of us in here are very aware of deep pain in relationships where trust has been broken. Do you see how? Do you see how in our relationships, and we could go through the list exhaustively today and gossip and anger and uh, we could do all those things, but do you see how it takes root in our hearts and maybe we believe, well, this is just a personal thing between me and God, but we suddenly recognize and realize that this is wreaking havoc on all of our relationships. And today, some of us are at war in relationships. And we think the battle is out here. We think it's all about the external. We think it's all about the circumstances. And the, if we could just communicate better. And if we could just, I'm not saying that stuff doesn't matter. But maybe today God wants to call us and invite us in to pursue a pure heart. Because maybe there's sin in our lives. Unconfessed sin. I didn't, even, I didn't realize. I didn't even see it. But now God wants to do his business. It's impossible to build a life of righteousness on a foundation of sin. It's impossible. In Ephesians 5, and we'll, we'll close in a minute. Paul, again, is writing to a different community in a different church, but this is so important. I want to get here. This is what he's saying. He's saying, you were once darkness. Again, it's kind of this idea. You were wearing that. That was the wardrobe that you had on, right? You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. The fruit of light consists of goodness and righteousness and truth. Find out what pleases the Lord, but I want you to hear verse 11 today. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. You know it's true? This is true in my life. Oftentimes our posture, my posture, your posture, towards the impurity in our lives, towards sin in our lives, you know what our posture is? Often to minimize it, to excuse it, to hide it. 
But what does Ephesians 5 say our posture should be? So today, maybe you're here, and maybe you're recognizing me, and there's some things in my life. There's some brokenness in my life. There's some destructiveness in my heart, and it's poisoning relationships around me. And maybe your tendency today is to want to hide but God's desire for us. Ephesians 5 says that God's design, he wants to expose that in us, not so that we can be ashamed, not so that we can be humiliated, so that he can heal. In the Garden of Eden, right? Think back to that. The first sin, the fall of man, as we call it, where Adam and Eve were given specific instructions of what not to do, and they did exactly what they weren't supposed to do. What was their posture? What was their response to sin? They hid, right? And that's what we do often at moments like this. It's like, oh, when's, when's service? When, when's the next thing? What are we going to, we want to hide. We want to minimize. We want to excuse. But God in love wants to expose our sin. Uh, two years ago, I had something done that should have been done like 20 years ago. Uh, I had wisdom teeth still. And, and for a number of reasons I won't get into, I had not had them removed. And so my dentist, like every time I would go see her, she would kind of be like, is today the day for the wisdom teeth? I'd be like, no, 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 I'm good, I'm good. But the truth was, I wasn't good. I was getting headaches all the time. My teeth in the back of my head were getting disrupted. And so finally, she had the courage, and I had the courage to just say, let's do it. And I wish I could say it was two of the best weeks of my life, but I would be lying to you. But here's the truth in that moment. I could want to excuse away the pain. I could want to pretend like it's, but, but deep inside me, something was wrong, and it needed to be exposed not so that I could feel shame and be hurt, but so that I could find healing. And today, today, some of us need healing. We've been rationalizing and excusing and hiding for way too long. And hiding brings shame. Hiding brings shame, and a posture of shame will destroy your relationship. So today, if you feel ashamed, that's not God's desire for you. His desire would be to pray like the psalmist prayed, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You see how that's a prayer that invites the Lord to expose the sin? Oh, that's an uncomfortable prayer, isn't it? That's a vulnerable prayer, but that's the difference. A, a prayer of shame is a prayer of hiding excusing away, pretending like it doesn't exist. But the prayer that the God's word teaches us to pray is, Lord, search my heart. Expose the sin in me. Not so that I will be ashamed. Not because you're a God who wants to destroy me, but you want to heal me. You want to purify me. You want to bring healing and restoration to the relationships in my life. But it can't happen until I allow you to search my heart, to expose the sin in me. Today, I'm gonna, I want to pray for you. Those watching online, I want to pray for you. Those in the room, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for those of us today that we've allowed sin to take a foothold in our heart and it is destroying the relationships around you. And I don't have to tell you it's destroying because you feel it today. Your stress level is through the roof. Your anxiety is through the roof because of, of how toxic the relationships around you are. And maybe today the Lord would want to do a new work in your heart and in your life. You don't have to be ashamed. You don't have to hide from him. He wants to purify. He wants to give you a new wardrobe that you would put on love and compassion and kindness and patience today. So today, 
can I pray with you? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And when we do that, it's just an opportunity for reflection. It's an opportunity to pause. It's an opportunity to allow the presence of the living God to do some work in us, to not rush on to the next thing and brush it to the side and say, I'll deal with it later, but maybe now is the moment. In a minute, Aubrey's gonna sing and she's gonna lead us in a time of worship. As we sing, would you just simply say, God, expose expose me search my heart know me test me see if there be anything in me today that offends you and offends those around me and lead me in the way purify me today God as Aubrey sings would you just pray would you invite the Lord to search your heart today Thank you again so much for listening today. Email us at info at for any questions about our church. As soon as you're finished listening today, please subscribe to this channel for updates and new episodes.